For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I'm here to talk to you about the settled science on climate. If only I could find some. I don't mean there's none at all. You know, it's widely agreed that various gases, including CO2, do have a warming effect under some circumstances, and that up to a point each doubling of atmospheric CO2 will produce the same absolute increase in temperature, and also, therefore, that as concentrations increase, the effect tapers off, and so on with some of the other basics. But just when you get to the point where the science might make reliable factual predictions or useful policy prescriptions, things get murky. For instance, this piece in the conversation by a non-climate scientist who's somehow also an IPCC scientific advisor named Edward Carr. He cheers that the election of Joe Biden will save the planet because we know what to do on climate. But unfortunately, we don't know what to do on climate. He gives a few quick hints on how the president could bypass Congress. But then he says, quote, one of the big challenges and the place where Biden needs to start is the lack of understanding of systemic risks, opportunities, and costs of both climate actions and inaction, end quote. Hey, you don't know what's happening, what to do, or what it might cost? We thought you said the science was settled. But apparently not, and the big problem is, quote, right now, there is no federal agency tasked with developing a systemic understanding of climate change impacts across society, end quote. So, let us not nitpick that there are actually 13 agencies charged with preparing the U.S. National Climate Assessment every four years, plus there's the U.N.'s IPCC, and let's not even question the clarion call to send more bureaucrats. Instead, I want to focus on the admission that we don't really know what's going on, or even what we could do, let alone what we should. Because that's clearly important if it's true, and it's also pretty clearly true. Indeed, the newsletter notes independently that on the melting of the Greenland glaciers, a subject on which people including Bill McKibben seem very confident indeed, researchers at Hokkaido University just declared triumphantly that the long-hypothesized 1,000-kilometer river of meltwater deep within the Greenland ice might exist, unless it doesn't. The backstory here is that radar has mapped some of the bedrock under several kilometers of ice, but then computer models filled in the gaps and said, yes, there's this long valley, but it's blocked so water can't flow. But since the radar never actually finds these rocky blocks, a new model said, if you program a computer not to fill in the gaps, it won't. Quote, the results are consistent with a long subglacial river, said one co-author, quote, but considerable uncertainty remains, end quote. You don't say. But you should. Germany's Potsdam Institute just made a very confident prediction based on its supposedly superior El Nino model that flopped within a year. Except that was just one year on just one aspect of the extraordinarily complex phenomenon of ocean currents. So remind me again how we know what's coming in 80 years for the whole system? Which could be shark attacks. We recently noted CNN's claim that global warming was making shark attacks worse in Australia, even though they weren't more frequent or more deadly. But now we hear that climate change is going to wipe out Australia's sharks and everything else, including the people they might otherwise bite, because, quote, rapid climate change represents an existential threat to all life on Earth, end quote. So which is it? More sharks and attacks? Fewer sharks and more attacks? Fewer sharks and fewer attacks? All of these are none, apparently. The long and the short of the story is that Port Jackson sharks in cooler water find it harder to adapt to a temperature increase than... Port Jackson sharks in warmer water, so the same species is threatened and not threatened. And what's more, after a quick rant about extreme weather, the authors explain that sharks have trouble adapting. Quote, sharks can't evolve fast enough to keep up 
because they tend to be long-lived with low reproductive output bracket. They don't have many pups bracket. The time between generations is just too long to respond via natural selection, end quote. Now that's weird, because we thought the settled science was that sharks have been around for over 400 million years, easily outlasting the dinosaurs and just about everything else, and swimming blithely through at least three mass extinctions, each of which wiped out three quarters of all species or more. So at this point, to give you something you can depend on, I want to mention that Port Jackson sharks really do have some of the weirdest looking eggs you could ever hope to see. But the rest is speculation. As the authors of this Now the Sharks Get It piece say, quote, we also need a better handle on how a wide range of species will respond to a changing climate. This will help us understand how communities and ecosystems might fragment, end quote. Well, we'll see your uncertainty and we'll raise it. We'd even like to know whether they'll fragment, not just how, because maybe they'd flourish instead. Though as usual with climate change, it gets worse. It can actually be tiring playing whack-a-mole with all the supposed climate-driven disasters people keep hurling about from increased hurricanes and wildfires to droughts, floods, and surging seas, all these things that didn't actually happen, but they insist did. And now Rud Istvan produces a new list of failed climate predictions that shows that the catalog of things they say are happening that aren't is pretty much the same as the catalog of things they said would happen that didn't. Perseverance is a virtue, up to a point, but the science is too settled when you claim something is going to happen, and then when it doesn't, you say, told you so. Istvan's list includes, quote, temperatures have recently suddenly risen, end quote, as in the infamous hockey stick. Now, he concedes the obvious. Yes, quote, temperatures have risen since the last Thames Ice Fair in 1814, as the world warmed out of the Little Ice Age, end quote. But, he points out, we don't have enough reliable data to know how much it's warmed, or how fast. And as for the prediction that, quote, temperatures will increase unsustainably, end quote, he says, we don't know what equilibrium climate sensitivity, or ECS, is. Uh, ECS being how much temperature will rise if atmospheric CO2 doubles. We just don't know, so that means any predictions based on certainty about ECS are of no use at all. Then there's sea level rise, which we're told is accelerating, but, he points out, hasn't increased, and in fact is behaving just the way it did in the last Eemian interglacial when there were no coal plants. Nor, he says, have polar bears died out, quote, from lack of summer sea ice, end quote, which frankly we don't even lack. And finally, he says, and it bears repeating, extreme weather has not increased. So if the settled science says it has, it's settled the wrong way, which it is. As American climate scientist Roger Pilkey Jr. just wrote, nearly 17,000 scientific studies have been published using the bogus over-the-top RCP 8.5 emission scenario that the scientists who say no can't happen, but use anyway because it creates scary results. And finally, how about this? The COVID lockdown was meant to decrease emissions of CO2 and thus reduce the atmospheric concentration, but it didn't. That's okay, says NBC. The World Meteorological Organization predicted the lack of decrease after the fact. And anyway, quote, irrespective of what we do to curb emissions today, much of the carbon dioxide already emitted decades ago remains in the atmosphere and contributes to global warming, climate scientists say, end quote. Got that? If it did drop, scientists would say they predicted it, and it meant we must cut emissions. When it doesn't drop, scientists say we predicted it, and it means we must cut emissions. So there's no point checking, because no matter what actually happens, what they said would happen sort of essentially did in a kind of truthy way. Now, if you think the science is unsettled, wait till you see the policy. 
For instance, in Hamburg, Germany, they just built a shiny new coal plant, then shut it down five years later with no idea where the replacement power would be coming from. Except not from the local nuclear plant, which they're also shutting down because it doesn't emit greenhouse gases or something. On the other side of the Atlantic, people are all excited that, quote, John Kerry's most urgent task as International Envoy for Climate Change, experts have said, will be restoring America's credibility as a reliable partner, end quote, by ponying up about $2 billion for the UN's Green Climate Fund to squander, not by, you know, cutting greenhouse gases dramatically at home or abroad or something like that. Now, we don't want to depress you at this festive time of year, so let's talk about a cheerful subject, namely decreasing hunger in the world. From CO2Science.org, we present a study of India's remarkable, though still insufficient, increase in wheat production since 1980 that looks at irrigation, fertilizer, temperature, and CO2, and finds that the dreaded carbon pollution has done the most good. And another study, also from CO2Science.org, about the early life stages of the orange-spotted grouper, which I have no doubt has been preoccupying you lately. And if not you, then certainly Asian fish farmers, so it's probably been food for you, if not food for thought. And by the way, because it's a big aquaculture fish, it's no longer called the greasy cod, which just doesn't sound very appetizing. But never mind that. The point is, the dreaded ocean acidification doesn't bother this fish, even at its most vulnerable time of life. But that's just one study. So, of course, more research is needed. And if you want to hear about the kind of research that pays attention to results and rejects false hypotheses, keep watching our videos, subscribe to our newsletter, and help us spread the word. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, every time we run the experiment.